Hi, welcome back to C-Tech Ed Podcasts. Uh, we're excited to rejoin you for season three. I am Nicole Huff, media specialist at Brandon High School. And I'm Sylvia Ellison, the writing coach at Brandon High School. And Nicole, I think we've talked about this off there, that it's when we're in the groove, it's challenging but exciting. And then when we finish a season, it's easy to, to let time pass. So I'm so mm-hmm. excited to be starting this again because it is um, very motivating to my professional growth and to um, my learning to have these professional dialogues with somebody that um, I respect and somebody who challenges my thinking and pushes my my learning to another level. Thank you. Uh, I also agree. I think that when I read the books by myself and just read professional books, there's I, I'm questioning the text in my own head, but there's a lot that just leaves it. And when I sit down and have conversations with you about it, your ideas springboard me into action, and I feel like I grow so much more. Well, I don't know about you, but I I get stuck in the idea of giving up on books. Like, I don't finish them even, and that's Mm. um, part of my learning style, but also part of, of who we are is that when you're reading in isolation by yourself, it's easy to get caught up in maybe the confusion or the time there's no push to finishing or some distraction comes along the way so I I think that our podcast is really motivating not only to reading excellent texts together but to finishing the text and applying it to our work so I'm very excited to start season three Um, it's our book is called fact versus fiction Uh, the subtitle is teaching critical thinking skills in the age of fake news Um, it's by jennifer lagardi and darren hudgens maybe they'll pipe in and tell us how to pronounce their names um i i would tell you this um i've been carrying this book around for a while now because every so often i just i try to grab moments to read and Mm -hmm. i i carry a pen with me and a couple of times when I've, i've had it with me on me the people who are around me I don't I haven't got a lot read yet because mm-hmm. of this, but they they want to check out the book. Yeah, they want to look at it and say, "Ooh, what is that about?" And mm-hmm. so when I start telling about the first part that I've read, they're very excited about it because um, I think it is very current. Yeah. It's an issue right now of great controversy that people want to know more about and to learn more about, especially when it comes to parenting and mm-hmm. teaching young children, and so determining fact versus fiction, that idea of fake news is very intriguing. And these authors are hot too. I know that Jennifer mm. was at FAME last year, which is the library conference Okay. Uh, in Orlando every year. And she's also, she's the one who wrote Library Girl. So I'm very excited to, to read this, to read this with you, to oh. podcast about it and see what other people think of it too. Oh yeah, it, I think this is going to be a really nice book. And for those of you who are just starting with us, it is a shorter book. The reading itself is only about 130 pages. Um, there are lots of activities in here. So I think that you're going to find that our conversations are going to be able to dig a little bit deeper mm-hmm. and really do um, maybe a little bit more application process for it. I kind of feel like we're going back to our first season where we took every aspect of Pirate and broke it down into pieces. Um, this one's going to be different, I, I feel. Right. But it's going to be the same concept as we're going to take in small chunks as opposed to large chunks. Yes. So if you're listening along, every episode will be a chapter. This week's episode will just be the introduction. Next week's episode will just be chapter one. We do sacred reading practices. So if you're just joining us, we have multiple sacred reading practices. When we 
treat a secular text as sacred, what we're doing is finding what is sacred within it. The practice of rigorous reading and treating something as intentionally put there in the text and not as looking at a text and seeing a mistake as a mistake, but rather using it as a chance to complicate our understanding and, and asking a question. I don't understand why the author said this. I don't understand why a right. character in a fiction book did that. When we treat them as sacred and we look at them as something to hold up and something worthy of study, we often dig in deeper and see what is sacred in us and find other things. Right. And for our purposes, doing this with professional mm-hmm. books, I think what started us is that when we treat our text, our professional reading as sacred, then we're actually treating our classrooms as sacred. And that, our profession. And our profession. Exactly. Our profession is sacred. I think that's a new twist to our, our motto. But um, I do believe that teachers are craving uh, ways to improve their practice in their classroom. I think it's that idea of working smarter, not harder, or just this way is not working anymore, I need a new no way. So I think that our practices, our sacred reading practices, lead us to that path of making our planning for our, our classrooms more purposeful uh, along the lines of that sacred reading process. Yes. So... Our first practice that we'll use this week and that we will use throughout, one of them is called Lectio Divina, and it was originally a practice by Christian monks. It has four steps. So Christian monks would take a text and they find a, um, a quote within the text, and you ask four things of it. Literally what's going on here allegorically how is it like other texts uh, other instances in society other things that we know personally how does this relate to me and my little group my my people and then a call to action based on this conversation what do I feel called to do in Christian monks tradition they were looking at the Bible and saying what is God calling me to do we are looking at this and saying, as educators, what are we called to do with students? And I know in the past we've said that um, sometimes the personal and the allegorical can be fused together. Sure. And sometimes we separate them. And I like the idea with this one, it's easier to separate them, I believe, because um, this is such a hot topic in society mm-hmm. that I think we're going to be able to make those connections outside of our scope and then back into our classrooms. Sure. So um, I think we had... One major quote. The introduction is very short. It's only about six pages, seven pages long. And we're really focusing on one quote today, but there's so many other pieces that are going to support that within the text. So that would be in our literal meaning, right? Okay. Sure. So the quote is on page six, and Nicole, you chose it, so why don't you... um... Thank you. But how can we prepare our students and make positive changes in society if we don't know what is happening around us? More importantly, how can we protect our children who are growing up with so many dynamic challenges if we're too distracted by how information confirms or contradicts our own beliefs to consider what it means to our world? And those, it is funny because I marked that text as questions that we need to answer. Mm-hmm. So literally in this text, at this point, at this juncture, they started the introduction with this story about the devastating earthquake in 2017. When I first read that on 2017, I thought, well, this is a very current text, <laughs> which which um, surprised me because sometimes we don't get a lot of 
that much currency uh, in the reading here. But then they talked about the fake news story um, and why news was translated that turned out to be a fake story. The Frida story. The Frida story, right. And it, and, and I love how they went through it. They told us about the earthquake. Mm-hmm. They told us another one about, or they made connections to mm-hmm. other tragic events. They explained the per- perspective of a journalist, which is to be first. Yeah. And then the aftershock, which I think is interesting, it was not necessarily um, other earthquakes of lower magnitude, but it was how the story transposed itself through the media. Um, and I and I love the fact that because it's so current, it's not just about newspapers and TVs, We're but it's now about social Twitter. media. Yeah, social media now exponentially um, speeds up the transfer of information. What's interesting to me is that even our cable TV news channels have push notifications to things like Apple Watches that will give you just headlines all day long, much like Twitter news. Yeah, I remember, I mean, so dating myself here, growing up, you had to wait till, or actually, I remember the biggest, like, whoa, new thing to come along was the four o'clock news or the 10 o'clock news, an hour earlier than all the other stations, Mm -hmm. right? We're going to be first. We're going to get, and now... um, especially with the development of cable TV, you could get news 24 hours a day, right? It's no longer uh, coming in snatches. It's actually an avalanche. (laughs) It's omnipresent. Yeah, I was thinking ubiquitous. It's it's ubiquitous. It's it's everywhere. Um, I I keep thinking we're going to get to the point where like in Minority Report, where you're walking down the aisle and all the news is directed to you based on what your interests are. Sure. You know, like that kind of thing. So they tell us the story about how Frida came to be. They post some questions. And then, and you have to read it to get it because that's just too much information to go into. But then they gave us some tactics, which I thought was really interesting. And I think maybe that's the starting point. Like literally the questions that we need to ask, you know, how is this impacting us? They said that the tactics that created that story that made it what people wanted was that famous names and places places were easily accepted. They sprinkled in some facts. Multiple news sources and government announcements added to the legitimacy, which mm-hmm. I found very fascinating. Uh, there are eyewitnesses, mm-hmm. and it's interesting how you can watch TV shows and they say eyewitnesses are all that, all that, are not all that credible. Yet when they spread like this, it's all eyewitnesses. And then the last one I think, which is the greatest one, was the psychological and emotional investment. If they can make it important, mm-hmm. it's going to spread quickly. So with those things in mind as the what's literally happening in the text, mm-hmm. um, I think that is the first start. But you know, how can we prepare our students and how can we protect them? Well, as we've said, the news media, the fact stories and the fiction stories are now bombarding us. Mm-hmm. Um, they are becoming obstacles in our thinking they're places that are stopping us in fact i was i was listening to a podcast this weekend um, and i guess i'm moving to the allegorical mm-hmm. um, but they were talking about human trafficking mm-hmm. and how about 10 years ago a lady said to her sister you i you can't keep sending me this information i i can't i'm supposed to live in fear not our faith not fear and yet this is creating fear in me so i thought it was interesting that even a decade ago, we were being were being bombarded with things that cause us disruption to mm-hmm. our peace or disruption to our daily living. 
that and our students just think of our students as adults we struggle with this and yet what are our what are our students thinking about issues of importance to them we see it in our social media with our classrooms mm-hmm. when kids have so many likes or so many dislikes or comments made on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, it stops all learning, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, allegorically, I think being able to discern fact and fiction, even in that situation, could be helpful in preparing our students and even protecting our children from what's coming. And when we talk about how do we discern this, you know, we were talking about the news cycle and when it was big that it was four o'clock and that now it's 24 hours a day and that we have Twitter and that we have push notifications from different agencies. And really, when we're thinking about the allegory of this text to the whole world, what that does, in order to have 24 hour a day news, we have so many stories out in the world. And certainly, we have enough stories going on in the world to have 24 hour a day news. But as the book points out, they're trying to all be first and they're all trying to get the biggest story. Mm -hmm. And so we've moved away from Walter Cronkite, who read you the story that had been investigated and was simply the Mm -hmm. guy reading the news to pundits with opinions. And they are all people who have their own investment in the story because they... Their jobs and their livelihoods depend on it, mm. and they depend on the viewership. So they are here spinning a story. Yeah, it, says, it is not reporting. It is always yes. spinning from any agency. Yeah, it says in here on page five, you see what people like, and you just give it to them. You see they like water, you give them water. They like wine, you give them wine. But then later on it said, what's more, those whose livelihoods depend on proving us wrong and us being people or general journalists either one leverage those truths to make fake stories incredibly difficult to discern from real ones Mm -hmm. and i think you're right if my livelihood depended on getting the story out first i want to make it as close to the truth as possible and i do believe that journalists are not out are not set do not set their mind to spinning fake stories no but i also think that there's a difference between our investigative journalists yes and our tv news anchors who are dependent upon ratings but not necessarily the investigation they are there trying to sell us the stories that other people have investigated oh that's yeah okay i see what you're saying that's a huge difference you're right the people who are sitting on news anchors are just pretty faces mm-hmm. right but the investigative journalists what are they doing out in the field to ensure is you know are there people fact finding or mm-hmm. uh, fact checking they call it and the journalists may very well have integrity and i believe that most yeah, of us do. do but the news reporter their the way they keep their job is by ratings right and their race to be first mm-hmm. increases their ratings and, and the way they spin it, if they make people angry or happy, then they get more people viewing and more comments. Right. And the only catch to that is when you're proven wrong mm-hmm. and you've lost all credibility, you've lost your career. Right. But, the, and those are the extremes, but we've seen those happen, you we know. Have. And um, and not to disparage or talk poorly about people, because I don't think intentionality was ever there to, to misguide people. Right. But I think that the circumstances upon which uh, journalists are set are the ones that are causing this new rampage 
in the media of fake fake, fake news. Is that um, Brian Kelly, right? He Was that the reporter who, I, I think so, he took over a big news spot like 6 o'clock evening world news? I think it's Brian I will have to double check my own facts and make sure I have the name right. But there was a, a guy who took over the 6 o'clock news, world news, and quickly had to leave because he had made some comments about Vietnam and he had never actually been there but made it sound like he was there. Dan Rather did that, I think. Oh. Which, like I said, yeah. not ill-intended. I, I do believe that these men and women have great intentions, but they're in such pressure mm-hmm. to perform um, that it, it may cause those twists and those spins. I don't know if there's a solution to that problem. I don't know if society will allow more time right. to pass before news stories are presented. I don't even know if the journalism field is much more for this world. Is it being taken over by live Twitter feeds or live Facebook right. or live anything that people are using social media and their own devices to capture and maybe mm-hmm. make news? Because I do sure. believe our students like to make news. Well, that's the the news that you see, like, from the horrible tragedies. Yes. Mass shootings, earthquakes. The news always picks up cell phone video from Twitter of what happened on the ground in real time because it was there happening and it was being recorded. And, and then how accurate is that? It's Even though one person's it's view. It's one person's view, right. And I think that um, the more I watch my little... I like crime TV. Mm-hmm. And it's not real. I know it's fake. But I like the issues that it points out. Basically, it took the one. It took one incident, and it was like a bank shooting. And every episode, they rewound it and mm-hmm. played a different person's perspective. Until the end, you got everyone's mm-hmm. perspective, and what you th- originally thought of as a terrorist attack was not became something different. And and I think that it's interesting that even the the Hollywood is seeing this issue of multiple perspectives mm-hmm. of different perspectives and yet our world is still able to use fake news as a slanderous event mm-hmm. like uh they're still able to accuse people in authority even though they do it themselves right mm-hmm. so i could put out a story on my Twitter handle of my perspective of some event Mm -hmm. and it could be picked up as gospel and nobody's going to condemn me. Mm -hmm. But if a, if a a politician or a lawyer Mm -hmm. or a doctor even speaks out about something of their, in their profession, if somebody can accuse them of fake news, they will. Sure. Right. And I think that that's, where I think we're leading to now with this book, Fact Versus Fiction, is how do we um, help students find the truth? And the authors even say, we want to write this book because truth matters. And we want our students to develop the skills they need to discern fact from fiction. You know, I'm listening to a podcast uh, as a last allegorical bit, and then we'll move into personal. I'm listening to a podcast with a Robert Moses biographer. And I know that most of you have no idea who that is or who the biographer is. Mm -hmm. But he is the man who wrote that book as well as four volumes on Lyndon Johnson. He is an incredible researcher. 
And the interviewer asked him, you know, about his research skills. And he said he was taught to turn every page. Mm-hmm. And that every page matters and every document matters. Even when he got to the Johnson Presidential Library and there were 45 million artifacts. And so then he had to pick his topics, but turn every page within that topic. Because you didn't know what you were going to find. Right. And he was also asked about truth. And, and the interviewer said, you know, you, you have this way of getting to the truth and truth matters. And how do you do that? And he said, I don't think there is truth. He said, facts matter. Mm. And absolutely, you can find facts. But truth is your truth. Mm. And it inherently has like a, a viewpoint and a bias. And that we want to try to get the objective facts and let them tell their story. And you what want to a be great a great view. Well, and that, that's interesting. I don't know that it contradicts this one. No. But I think it, it just gives us another... A little it's enhancement. Right. Well, it's a complication. Right. Well, because did they use the right word here when they use truth? I think that they meant here truth as fact. Right. And they're trying to use them interchangeably. But we know that there, there are multiple meanings to words and that sometimes a synonym doesn't necessarily have the exact same meaning. Um, personally, in our classrooms, I find that um, I'm teaching our senior English class and it talks about perspective. Mm-hmm. And so right now we're studying Othello and I, you know, my students are having to understand historical criticism. And we talked um, about the racism that might have existed during Shakespeare's day. Like why was it important to have Othello as a Moor, as a black mm-hmm. man, marrying Desdemona as a white woman. And so when we talk historical con- context, that was very much frowned upon. Right. But was it frowned upon because of their race, their culture? Was it frowned upon for Marxism because he was somebody who started out as a slave and became a general? Right. So he was a have-nots marrying a statesman's daughter. Mm-hmm. Was it a matter of feminism? Criticism because she was property and her father did not get his just rewards. Then we, we shifted to... In today's society, what would have been the controversy? Would it have been a black man marrying a white woman? A general from slavery marrying Mm. a wealthy person? Um, Or would it have been um, an L... Give me the acronym. LGBTQ plus. But would would that issue have been more valid? Would um, a person whose gender... They're unsure of their gender... You know, so we, we try to contextualize it mm-hmm. and say, what, what is the message that Shakespeare really was trying to get across? And how did the choices that he made, the article we read in DeMarco said today that the, the playwright makes choices to engage the audience in an emotional and intellectual exchange. And so my question was, why? And so if we come back to this fact versus fiction, does this, how does this matter to our students is because why? Why do journalists put forth in front of us what they put forth? Mm-hmm. Why do they try to spin? Why do they exclude? Why do they? Is it a mere simplistic response, mm-hmm. simplistic response that it's a rush to be first? Is it merely that they're just wanting to get things mm-hmm. out there and they're willing to take the risk? And 
the part that is hitting me as well, especially from a library perspective, is where it talks about um, the things that confirm and contradict our own beliefs. And if we're too distracted by that, Mm. then do we even look beyond for fact versus fiction? We are collection developers. So the books in this library, I got here four years ago. I have ordered more than a thousand books that are currently sitting in this library in the past four years. If I am only looking for Mm. the things that confirm what I believe about the world, I am limiting the knowledge of 2,000 students on this campus plus our faculty. So that is one of the big reasons why I have the library motto that I have painted up above our circulation desk, which is, and I'm probably going to butcher the Latin, I'm sorry, (laughs) cave ab hominem unis libri, which means beware the man of one book. And it's a a Thomas Aquinas, it's attributed to Thomas Aquinas. And I haven't dug in to see if he was the first one to say it or not, but it's mostly attributed to him. And when kids ask me about it, I always say, I say what it means. And then they say, but what does that mean? And I say, well, it means that if you only read one book on a subject and you think you understand that subject, the Mm. rest of us should be afraid of you. Right. Because we have to look at those critical perspectives we have to look at the facts from every side we Mm -hmm. have to be a collector who turns every page we can't just look from one viewpoint and I think we were talking earlier too that is our intention is the intention of our teachers our journalists whoever is presenting the news or presenting the Mm truth the quote-unquote truth is our purpose to unify or to divide I believe that the Frida story that was in here was the was not intentionally fake news, but it turned out to be. But the purpose of what developed was to unify the world to support this hopeful story of a survivor. To bring help, to bring aid, to help rebuild, yes. to get anybody who is trapped out. Right. It was to bring to people together to, to show the humanity. It. I think that a lot of the fake news, quote unquote, that's being attributed to fake news out there now is the purpose is to divide. Mm. So if you as a librarian were to be extremely deliberate in what you would and would not allow in your library, quote unquote, it's not mine, then that (laughs) would be a divisive move. It Mm -hmm. would be a, I want people to believe this way. So I'm only going to get by this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so as a journalist, I want people to believe. So I'm only going to give them these facts or I'm going to skew the numbers because mm-hmm. I don't need to look to see if it was 2000 or 200,000. That's just one zero, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or 20,000 to 200,000. I do no math. Um, <laughs> but, but, but what's the purpose of that? Is it because I'm lazy or do I really want people to believe that the event was more important or less important than it was divisive? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that when we're looking at fact versus fiction, we not only have to discern, I like what you said, the facts, mm-hmm. the objective facts, but we have to own our own biases. Yes. We have to own the legitimacy of what we're receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, I always come back, I go back to crime TV, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do I, am I for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt? Because somebody's life is at stake. Mm-hmm. And in this case, uh, fact versus fiction, somebody's intellectual life is at stake. Yes. Um, and it could be a, the career of a journalist. It could also be the uh, the trust 
mm-hmm. that people have in us as teachers, mm-hmm. the trust that people have in you as a curator of information in a media center. Will, will our students believe that reading is still valid and important right. if we are showing them things that turn out to be quote-unquote untrue? Yeah. Where is the believability, the credibility of our profession? And so I think, I love what you said, that the questions that we have to answer through our original quote, how can we prepare students and make positive changes in society if we don't know what's happening around us? And more importantly, how can we protect our children who are growing up with so many dynamic challenges if we're too distracted by how information confirms or contradicts our own benefits to see what it means to the world? If we don't know how to discern fact versus fiction, then I don't know that we can empower our students to continue to want to read and to want to learn. Well, and you even, you mentioned the checking our own biases in there, and that reminded me of a book. So there's a book of some critical acclaim that's currently in my library. It came in in one of our recent shipments my library, the Brandon High School Library. Uh, It's called There There, and it's an own voices novel. It is by a Native American. And I paused there intentionally. All over the book, the author makes the choice to call the characters Indian. He is a member of Native Nation groups, and the character chooses to call himself that. It is a work of fiction, so, you know, the character and the author are not the same person. But, They're deliberate. But it is a deliberate thing to call them Indian. And I don't know if that is because it's what he wants to be called. I don't know if it's because it's what he sees himself as. I don't know if it's because it was easier to write. I don't know if it's just commonplace to say. I don't, right. I don't know where that decision comes from. But I know that it is hard for me to talk about the characters in the book as Indian. I want to call them Native American because I've been told that that is what's proper. But someone from that group is making a different choice. So now I need to read more. You know, it's interesting. (laughs) I um, At the beginning of the year, I had a conversation with a student. And um, based on behaviors and choices of costuming or whatever they're exhibiting... I I wasn't sure. So I said to the student, I said, what pronoun do you associate with yourself? Mm-hmm. And um, this happened to be a young man. He goes, I'm, I'm all male. Okay. I'm a boy. Okay. I'm just feminine. I like girly things, but I'm a boy. I went, okay, thank you. And, and it was interesting about the conversation is um, afterwards he even said, thank you for asking because very few people ask. And I've just gotten to the point where I, um, and I, maybe it was because I went through a, an avid seminar this summer, culturally relevant teaching. Maybe it's because um, I had a conversation last year with a, kid, a different student who gave a similar response. Um, I know you've, you've got some, you have some students that you're associated with that are making Using different pronouns. Right, and making diff- different choices for their life and their future. And um, I think that when it comes to even fact versus fiction, our biases, we have to uncover that too, because the first criticism I teach seniors is reader response theory. And we read a poem called My Papa's Waltz. Mm-hmm. And I had them stand up on okay, if you if you feel based on taking their words, if you feel that this is a good father who's showing 
who's just got traditions with their child sit over here. If you feel like this is an abusive father who should stand over here. And it was interesting that the majority of my students, I think all but three, stood over on the abusive side. And they and saw I, the alcohol. They saw the alcohol. They saw these things as um, things that led to abuse. It's a poem. It's very, mm-hmm. it's extremely vague. Um, and I had three kids over here and they're like, um, it's a pat on the head, not a beating. Right. It's a, but when we talked about backgrounds and it wasn't that they came, the, this whole group came from an abusive situation, um, but the way our media is portrayed, if you watch mm-hmm. crime, if you're, I watch crime TV, law and order, um, the we're majority to look for the bad. Correct. And so they were all looking for the things either they've experienced, they've seen on TV, they know somebody mm-hmm. who's experienced there. It's the see it's, you know, tell it kind of situation. Whereas these, even though they've seen some of that, they have been raised to try to look at the positive side of things. I don't think either one's wrong. I think that we do need a lot of people who are willing to, to take the risk to say, are you being abused? I think what, I think these kinds of situations uh, present themselves in our classrooms and our personal lives, and they demand our attention. Mm-hmm. I think if this book does what I hope it does, I think it's going to arm us with some uh, strategies, with some questions, with some tools that can help us to discern mm-hmm. what is fact and then what is fiction especially and as they end in a world where creating viral content is the first goal and getting the facts right comes second right i mean that's what our kids all want to do is they want to go viral right they want to be social influencers Mm -hmm. um what does it take to do that what you know what cost are we willing to do that so as we move forward and we think about our call to action i feel like it is vitally important in our classrooms and in our media centers to be as objective and as critically questioning as we can be. That's what I'm called to. I'm called that when I make a display, I need to make sure that I have multiple perspectives and sides in the display so that if, um, for example, our Black History Month display, I chose this year to display fiction. Mm rather than things that focused on civil rights that students learn about in history all the time. I picked books written by people of color. And those books are not only by African Americans. Some of them are by people who are African. Some of them are by people who are from the islands. Some of them are by... And so I had to make sure that I had all of those perspectives present in these fiction novels. And there's lots of genres present there, too. They're all fake, but some of them are Afrofuturism. Some of them are historical fiction. Mm. Some of them are romance. Some of them are coming of age. There's a variety of things here. One of my other podcasts talked about things like, can you have, as a library who is unbiased, can you have a Pride Month display? Can you have a display on political candidates right around the election Mm. time and the answer was you have to be careful right if you're going to have a display talking about the upcoming election then you need to have books on every candidate on the electoral process and how we got to it on the voting rights and where it is restricted and that 
we need to represent multiple perspectives. And, you know, just as I said, I, I don't know how I feel about there, there and discussing that novel and the characters in it. What I'm called to do there is read more. I think I need to ask more questions. I think I need to ask them in front of kids. I think I need to make sure that I put up multiple perspectives. I think yeah, I, I, I agree careful. with that. Uh, yeah, and and I would add to that. I think we need to be curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that before I would. So in my classroom, I'm not gonna. I, I probably won't talk about the political aspects in the process there. Um, <laughs> it's a public my, library display more than it correct. is a high school library display. Correct. Um, but I do th- believe that um, we need to check our own biases. So um, I always said in my classroom library that if I was willing to have a book on um, on Christianity, then mm-hmm. I also had to have a book on the occult. Mm-hmm. Right or any other beliefs that were represented in my classroom, mm-hmm. and so people would say, "Oh my gosh, why are you willing to have such and such?" And like, well, I have that one and that one and that one, and I could mm-hmm. point to different topics that were um, in conflict. Yeah, and That's my thought process, right? And my thought process was, if I'm willing to represent one, I have to be willing to represent the other. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I want to have one side, then I have to have the other. And so it's just keeping that balanced approach because my job as an educator is to influence students to learn, influence students to read, not to influence them to believe. Now, if my belief is to believe that education and learning can help them prosper, yes. (laughs) But all the other, you know, things that you are just... I'm not trying to get kids to agree with me. I'm trying to get them to think. Correct. Right. To think. And maybe that's what um, our call to action is, is that in reading fact versus fiction, maybe we should be open to increasing our own horizons, increasing our own vision, to ensuring that our students are empowered or equipped with the ability to discern fake news, Mm -hmm. viral content versus fact-finding research. What a great way to end this. Absolutely, I think so. Oh, and what a joy it is to get back into the process. (laughs) Thank you for for doing this with me. I look forward to chatting with you about every chapter. And I look forward to hearing feedback from people as they listen to us. Please feel free to leave comments on our Twitter handle, ctechedpodcasts. Mm-hmm. I know that we have an email account that you can always yes. email us. Um, ctechedpodcasts at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback and your responses to um, the sacred reading practices of fact versus fiction. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon.